Our reading this morning is from Matthew, and we're starting in chapter 6, and it's at verse 9. A passage I should think you're all familiar with. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I'd like to invite Paul now to come and explain a bit of that reading to us. I'll just pray for you, Paul, as you come. I'll take these things out of the way. Father, we just thank you for Paul, and we thank you very much for the man of God that he is. We thank you for him and Julie and for the work they do amongst us here at NCBC. We thank you this morning for the word you've put on his heart to share with us, and we pray that you'll give us listening ears and open hearts to hear what you have to say. May we learn something more of your peace and your rest this morning, and may that be true for Paul too as he explains your word to us. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Bev, and good morning to each and every one of you. Following on from David Bird's informative and inspiring message on the Trinity last week, we're continuing our theological journey as we look at the theme of God the Father. Chris Cleary will be following on next week with part two. Now, I've heard some Christians say over the years, I'm not interested in theology. I don't do theology. I just want to follow Jesus. Theology is for ministers. It's for pastors. It's for Bible college students. Well, if this reflects your thinking on theology, the study of God, I think you might want to listen to and obey what Jesus says in John 4, 24. Speaking to a woman from Samaria, Jesus said, God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Here's the question. How can we worship God in truth if we don't study who he is? How can we worship God in truth if we don't understand something of his person, his nature, his purpose for us, his power? We can't. Now, some would say that theology is dry as dust. Actually, it isn't. It's anything but. In fact, it's intensely practical as it enables us to praise, worship, and serve God as he intends. So I believe that theology must be a priority 
for every believer, for every follower of Jesus. The study of God not only nourishes the mind, it warms the heart. Some of you will have read J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. Anybody read this? Good, a few people. Now, it's a bit early, but can I mention the word Christmas? If you're looking for a gift for somebody this Christmas, you could do far worse than purchase Knowing God by Packer. Don't need to go to the Riverside. Have a word with Kathy Luland afterwards. She works in the bookshop, and I'm sure she can procure a copy for you. Listen to what Packer says. What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we have in life? To know God. What is this eternal life that Jesus gives? To know God. What is the best thing in life? To know God. What in humans gives God most pleasure? Knowledge of himself. Now, if you were to stand, say, in Anglia Square on a Saturday morning and ask people the simple question, what is God like? You would undoubtedly get a number of responses from, I don't believe in God, but I believe God is like. God is like an old man in the sky. He's a grandfather-type figure. A bit doddery, therefore out of touch lost his marbles, really, he's up there somewhere, but he's certainly got no interest in what's going on in my life. The truth is, God is old. Well, he's not old, he's actually eternal. There's never been a point in time that we can understand where God has not existed. In the beginning, God created. Others might say, well, he's a cruel God. God here is seen as being responsible for all the suffering and for all the wars in the world. Again, this is untrue. Wars are caused by man's greed, his thirst for power, and his selfishness. Isn't it interesting that people are so quick to criticize God for these things, When it comes to God painting a beautiful rainbow in the sky, people don't praise him, or a beautiful sunset that he's created. There are many views that people have of God. Here's here's another one. He's like a divine fireman. I mean, most of the time, we can get along okay without God. We don't really need him. But when difficulties come along we can sort of dial 999, rattle off a quick prayer, and ask God to come and rescue us, to get us out of that situation. Then as soon as we're out of trouble, the fire's dealt with, we forget all about God and just send him back, as it were, to the fire station. I wonder whether you look at other people and think, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could do that. 
I wish I could play music. I wish I could sing. I wish I could draw. I wish I could be athletic. The disciples of Jesus looked at him and they wished they could be like him. You see, Jesus was a man of prayer. He got up early every morning to pray. His disciples saw him praying, and they really wanted to pray like he prayed. He seemed to have this relationship with his Father. And they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus responds by giving them this prayer, a model prayer, a pattern, if you like, not a substitute. The prayer tells us much about the nature and the person of God. This is actually Jesus teaching his disciples theology. Now, we only have time to consider three aspects of his nature and character. First of all, the person of God. What is God like? Who is he? Now, of course, when we write a letter to someone... I'm sure there are some people who still write letters today. Some use fountain pens. When we send an email, we address it to someone. When we pray, we're addressing prayer to God, who is our Father in heaven. Not only is our Father in heaven, but He's a perfect Father. A Father who loves us and wants the best for us. And he becomes our personal Heavenly Father when we believe and receive him into our lives. John 1.12, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now sadly, our view of God can be warped by our experiences of a human father. We then transfer our view of a human father onto God. Let me give you a couple of examples. Maybe your father was distant. Uh, Maybe he wasn't around very much. And you transfer that onto God. Because for you, it's difficult to sense something of the closeness, the intimacy of Abba, Father, Daddy. Maybe you felt your father was unloving. Maybe you received a lot of criticism. And we sometimes transfer that onto God and can't really understand how God would not just have an interest in us, but would have an intense love for each one of us. (coughs) Excuse me. Maybe your father was strict. Uh, My father was a strict disciplinarian. Um, His trousers were held up by a belt, and now and again I'd receive. (laughs) But sometimes we can transfer that onto God. God is just waiting for me to step out of line. God is just waiting for me to get it wrong because he wants to punish me. One of my earliest memories is, I must have been about two years old, but I can remember it so vividly. My mama just bathed me, and she sat on a stool, and she wrapped me in what seemed like a gigantic white towel. 
I felt safe. I can still remember it now. I felt secure. I felt loved. And you know, when we know God as our Father, Abba, Father, it's almost as if we can climb onto his lap and feel safe and loved. We can relax in his presence and talk to him naturally. Or we can just be still and revel in his presence. The person of God the Father. He is the perfect Father. Secondly, the purity of God the Father. Hallowed be your name. May your holy name be honored. Now, names are important. If your name is Paul John, that sometimes causes problems. I was called John twice this morning as I came in. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. If I had a pound for every time that had happened, I could give more to the Lord. (laughs) It is vitally important that we get God's name right. Because it describes his character. He is holy. He is separate. He is different. He is other. He's pure. He never gets anything wrong. It's not that God doesn't sin. God cannot sin. It's not in his nature. And you know, folks, this is where the practical aspect of theology comes in. Paul says in Ephesians 5.1, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. God is holy, and he wants you and I, as believers, to reflect his character. What does it mean to be holy? It sounds ultra-spiritual, doesn't it? Just for a certain section of believers to attain this. But it's very practical. The Greek word, uh, translated holy, is also translated as saint holy ones. And in 1 Peter 1 verse 15, we read, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. God wants us to be holy in everything we do. To be holy is to be separate from the world, to be different, Not to be distant, but to be distinct, both in our attitudes and our actions towards others. Our God's a loving, gracious, forgiving Father, but He's also a holy God. Children often reflect the nature of their parents, and God desires that His children reflect His nature. Be imitators of God. The word is mimic. Mimic God. Now, holiness is a progressive development for the believer. It doesn't happen overnight. It's what we call sanctification. And we become more different. We become more distinct as we have a deeper sense of being set apart for the purposes of God. And, of course, none of this can happen without the work of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. The person of God the Father, the purity of God the Father, and thirdly, the pardon of God the Father. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In this part of the prayer, we focus on God's forgiveness. His forgiveness is demonstrated so powerfully by what happened at the cross. 
Forgiveness is costly. Paul says in Romans 3.25, for God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We're made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. On the one hand, God is holy and hates sin. On the other hand, God loves us. But our sin is a barrier to knowing him as our Father. That's why God punished Jesus. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. God punished Jesus instead of us that we might be forgiven. Can I ask you gently, uh, but firmly, have you ever taken time to thank God for sending Jesus to the cross? You see, the moment you turn away from all you know to be wrong in life, uh, you believe and receive Jesus as Lord and Father. God gives you a clean slate, a completely new start in life. Now, if you're like me, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, we get things wrong from time to time. Would that be accurate? Hmm. It's not just me. That's why we need to confess our sins and pray each day for continuing forgiveness. It's not on the screen, but if we confess our sins, God will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, this verse reminds us that we must forgive others. This is, again, the practical aspect of theology. Be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, says, you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Wouldn't it be great if everybody was like you? No? There are people who rub us up the wrong way. Would that be true? I'd like to say I find it so easy to love everybody, but that wouldn't be true. It's a challenge with some people. And C.S. Lewis said on one occasion, everyone says forgiveness is a good idea until they have something to forgive. Now, whenever you find someone who is harsh, critical, judgmental towards other people, you can almost count on the fact that that person has unresolved guilt issues. If I don't feel good about myself, then I certainly don't want other people to feel good about themselves. On the other hand, if we remember how much God has forgiven us, we're going to be a little gentler on other people. When we realize we're a trophy of God's grace and there's no way we can ever repay him for what he has done on our behalf, then we're going to be less judgmental. We're going to be more forgiving, more open, more generous, more gracious towards other people. The first key, in a sense, to learning how to forgive people on a continual basis is just to realize 
that God forgives me every day. I just need to remember that every day here in the grace of God, I stand. So I ought to be able to cut other people a bit of slack. But an unforgiving spirit consigns us to a prison. A prison of bitterness. A prison of resentment. How do I break out of that prison? I accept God's total forgiveness and I offer it to other people. You see, I can make a choice. I can live with that memory of how that person hurt me Maybe years ago. I can replay that like a tape in my mind. The pain that that person caused me by what they said or didn't say, by what they didn't do or what they did do. I can replay that tape. I can relive or I can forgive. You say, Paul, I don't want to forgive that person. They'll just get away with it. That's just not fair. Is forgiveness fair? No, it's not. Is it fair that you can be forgiven by God? No, it's not. That's called grace. You don't get what you do deserve. That's mercy. You do get what you don't deserve. That's grace. Forgiveness isn't fair. It is very expensive. It cost Jesus Christ his life. And from the cross, in agonizing pain, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. The people who hammered those spikes into his hands and feet, the people who had whipped him and punched him so his face was unrecognizable. Jesus offered forgiveness, although no one had asked for it. You choose to forgive somebody even if they don't ask for it. You don't put, forg- uh, you don't put conditions on your forgiveness. Forgiveness comes with no strings attached. It's all about grace. Forgive, it's not on the screen, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It'll come up in a moment, but when God forgave us, it wasn't a partial forgiveness. He chose to give us a brand new start in life. And not to forget our sins, God is not forgetful, But God chose not to remember our sins anymore. Can I encourage you to think about forgiving that person before it's too late? Pardon the personal reference again. When I was at Bible college, uh, one lecturer came in and at the start of the lecture said, I want you to get two pieces of paper and I want you to put a column Uh, two columns on those two bits of paper. And on the first column, for each sheet, I want you to 
write down those things you admire, respect, and love about your mum. And do the same for your dad. Then I want you, in the other column, to write down those things that you find difficult and challenging about your relationship with your mum or your father. Well, when it came to my mum, I could have written an essay on the things that I loved about her, I admired about her. When it came to my dad, I have to be totally honest with you, I found it so difficult to think of anything really positive to say about our relationship. And God spoke to me that day. I knew that my relationship with my father wasn't right, and I wrote a letter to my dad, really apologizing to him for the, uh, the selfish son that I'd been. And he wrote back, and our relationship completely changed. We gained a new love, a new respect for one another. I'm so glad that happened before he passed away. Don't wait to forgive until it's too late. Paul says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Completely. Totally. How do you know you've really forgiven someone? You know, those memories, even if you try to forgive that person, those memories can, can flood him back. And the enemy will seek to get into your mind that you should rehearse all those things over again. And you're in that prison of bitterness. How do you know you've completely forgiven someone? by asking for God's blessing upon their lives. Are you ready to forgive that person who hurt you? I've had to do this many times. As a pastor, you wouldn't believe some of the things that are said or done to pastors. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is well known for his I Have a Dream speech. But another of his speeches or his sermons often gets overlooked. In Montgomery, Alabama at Christmas in 1957, he delivered his Loving Your Enemies sermon, a piece of work he wrote while in jail for committing the, dare I say, crime of nonviolent civil disobedience during the Montgomery bus boycott. He said this, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. She or he who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. King spoke about our capacity to forgive as a starting point when we've been hurt. I finish with words of Jesus. You've heard it, it was said Love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, reflecting his forgiveness. If I receive God's forgiveness, am I reflecting God's forgiveness? 
Just think of that person right now that you need to forgive. We'll just pause for a moment. Ask God to give you the grace and the courage to forgive that person and to let that bitterness go. So this morning, we've reflected on God the Father being perfect in all his ways. We've seen God the Father is pure and holy. We've seen that God the Father pardons and forgives. In short, he is a good, good Father. I'm going to welcome musicians back onto the stage, and we're going to sing that song. As we sing it, my prayer would be that these words sink deep into your soul. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. Gerald Coates used to say, the majority of people just need a massive dose of the love of God. I think there's a lot of truth in that. It's who I am, who I am, it's who I am, because you are perfect in all of your ways. Let's stand and sing. You're a good, good Father. Amen.